A Detective's Approach by Paul Price. Originally published July 2019. Probably the greatest crime-solving TV show of all time, or at least my personal favorite, is Columbo. Peter Falk did a tremendous job portraying a disheveled but clever detective. He would casually investigate the scene, picking up on the tiniest details which pointed at a particular culprit, and then he would proceed to interrogate this culprit, often in such a way that they did not at first realize that they were actually under suspicion. There are several things that we can learn from detectives like Columbo that we can apply to the enterprise of Christian apologetics in general, and creation apologetics in particular. Skeptics and unbelievers in the modern era almost always make the same claim about their unbelief. They say they would believe if there were only sufficient evidence for God's existence. They claim to have examined all the supposed evidence out there and found it all unsatisfactory. There is one simple question that anyone can ask such skeptics, however, that very often stops them dead in their tracks. What evidence would you expect to find of God? Asking this question seems rather obvious, but you'd be surprised by how many long-winded debates go on where this question is never brought up. The skeptic enjoys being in a comfortable debating position of being able to say, I'm not convinced. Every time a believer shows a piece of evidence in favor of God. Yet that same skeptic shoulders no burden of proof themselves. But skeptics are making a claim just like believers. Namely, they claim there is insufficient evidence to believe in God. That is a positive statement, and such a statement requires support. Before such support can even be given, however, what would count as evidence must be understood. For a useful illustration, let's turn to an instance of a possible home break-in. Imagine you are a detective, and your first job must be to determine whether or not a home has, in fact, been broken into. What do you look for? Obviously, one of the biggest indicators of a home break-in would be signs of forced entry. Are there any broken windows? Are there any doors that have been busted off their hinges or broken in with an axe or some other object? If a detective were to examine a house and find no signs of forced entry, then several conclusions could be possible from this. Perhaps there was no break-in at all. Or perhaps the victim knew the perpetrator and willingly let him into the house. Apply this method of reasoning to the existence of God. We must ask, what sort of clues would you expect to find if God did exist? For the unbeliever, how would this world and the universe look different if God did exist compared to how it looks now? Amazingly, very few skeptics are able to answer this question at all. Many times, they will simply refuse to answer the question, or attempt to deflect and claim it is not their burden to think of what evidence might look like. But can you imagine if detectives behaved this way? Imagine after investigating a crime scene, a detective were to conclude, I do not accept that any crime occurred here. That's my best impersonation of Columbo. When asked why, the detective replied, I do not find any of the alleged evidence convincing. The next natural question is, what sort of evidence would you have expected that you don't find? Imagine if the detective were to reply, I have no idea. Would you have any confidence in this detective's ability? I know I wouldn't. 
Being able to discern what potential evidence would look like is the first prerequisite to investigating a crime scene, and any detective who can't do that is not worth hiring. The same is true for skeptics. Anyone claiming to be a skeptic who cannot tell you what evidence for God might look like is no real skeptic at all. They are just ignorant, and they refuse to accept the responsibility for their own ignorance. But sometimes a skeptic will venture a response to this challenging question. The responses I've heard have mostly fit into one of two categories, the one I call the genie response and the test tube response. Alright, so in the first one, the genie response, the first category of answers to the big question I've heard I will call the genie responses because they essentially boil down to the skeptic asking God to perform miraculous tricks for them personally, on command, just as a magical genie in a bottle might do. If God exists, may he strike this table with, with lightning right now. This sort of thinking is arrogant to the extreme. We as God's creations are responsible to God, not the other way around. God is not on the hook to perform tricks for us on command. God certainly has the ability to perform miracles, and we can read about many of them in scripture, but these miracles were done because God deemed them necessary, not because an arrogant unbeliever demanded it and God gave in to their demands. In response to this sort of thinking, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 39 and 40, a wicked and adulterous generation demands a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will be the Son of Man by three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Responding to this answer is not particularly difficult. Simply say, imagine a scenario where God exists but for whatever reason, as he is God and you are not, he decides not to give you a miraculous sign when you ask for it. What evidence would you look for to discern if God exists or not? Simply attempt to move the conversation past the unhelpful and unrealistic demand for instant miraculous signs. Obviously, there is no logical reason why God cannot exist without providing these signs on demand, so this sort of retort by the skeptic is entirely unsatisfactory. For the second response, the test tube response, I've heard from skeptics this test tube style response. They expect God to be accessible to empirical scientific testing. For example, they might ask for a scientific study that shows a statistically significant advantage in praying for healing to the Christian God compared to any other God, or to not praying at all. Without getting into the contentious issue among Christians of whether or not God still performs miraculous healings today, we can still say that this is a wrong-headed approach. God is not a blind natural force. God is a personal being of the highest order, and our prayers to God are part of a personal relationship, not a scientific test. Imagine if you applied this logic to earthly parents. Do a study to see if they tend more often than not to give you what you ask right when you ask for it. And if they don't, you should conclude that you have no parents. That is exactly the kind of ridiculous logic this particular response is using. Just as with the first response, this response is also unrealistically expecting God to perform on command. Now that we've explored some of the responses that you are likely to get from skeptics, what about the real answers to this question? What really are the reasonable expectations for evidence of God? 
the obvious sort of things that we might look for, corresponding to the signs of forced entry in our home break-in example. They would be things like evidence for design rather than randomness in the cosmos. Also, evidence for design rather than randomness in our Earth and solar system. And lastly, evidence for design rather than randomness in life. As the Apostle Paul wrote, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Romans 1.20 And in Hebrews 3.4 For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Beyond this, we would also look for signs that God has communicated to us, that is to say, in a body of Scripture. Why would a God bother to create something like our planet Earth, fill it with life including human life, and then do nothing else and remain totally silent? It seems very straightforward that if God exists, we should expect to find evidence of communication from this God to us. As it turns out, there are numerous competing claims of alleged divine revelations throughout history, and these competing claims are mutually exclusive because they contradict one another. So we would also need to look for clues like miraculously fulfilled prophecy to authenticate this scripture as genuine. There would probably be other markers to distinguish true divine revelation from frauds. In the case of the Holy Bible, we have a single coherent message with a beginning, middle, and end, which was given to dozens of authors over a period of thousands of years. This in itself is extremely impressive and indicative of divine authorship but we should also expect that God's communication would be unique in its accuracy and its ability to be confirmed by the available evidence. These are the obvious signs, but there is something a bit less obvious as well. The fact that we're able to think rationally and have knowledge at all actually points back to and depends upon God. If there were no God and therefore no designer for human life, what would that say about the usefulness of our brains for properly understanding truth? If there is no ultimate authority governing the cosmos, does the concept of truth really hold any meaning at all? If we deny God's existence, we are actually undercutting the validity of our own reasoning altogether. In the final analysis, all human knowledge depends upon God, and if God did not exist, we would not be able to know anything for certain at all. The next time you're in a discussion or debate with a skeptic, Ask the big question and push for a real answer. This is the quickest way to cut to the heart of the matter and reveal if the skeptic is being intellectually honest when dealing with the overwhelming evidence we do have of our Creator, God. I love science topics and a good article that teases a debate between creationists and evolutionists, but I don't have a lot of time in a week to read books or attend seminars. That's why Creation Ministries International delivers this podcast right to your phone to listen to on your commute or at the gym. It's still important that people like us that are on the go learn what God has to say and the arguments that creationists use to rely on the authority of scripture and make sense of secular science claims. Our ministry's goal is to support the church at large in proclaiming the truth of the Bible and thus its gospel message. We provide real-world answers to the most asked questions in the vital area of origins laid out in the book of Genesis, where the Bible is most under attack today, 
Since we are a faith-funded ministry, your prayerful and regular support is really appreciated. You can learn more about the conferences we host or invite one of our speakers to come to your church at creation.com events. I am Joseph Darnell. For all of us at creation.com, thanks for listening to episode 50 of the Creation Article Podcast.